We are continuing our study, our verse-by-verse study through the book of James. We are in James chapter 1. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 21. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. As you're turning there, just want to remind you, I said this a couple of weeks ago, James is a very practical book. And sometimes we can have a problem with that because it can be too practical. I said this already, not one of us as we go through the book of James is going to go untouched. It's going to jab you and it's going to poke you and you're going to go, I don't like that. And after teaching this message first service, I'm going, I don't like this. (laughs) But we need to hear it. We need to apply it to our lives. And so I want you to know that it hits me first before it hits you guys. Okay, and so... um, Just have that in mind as we get to to our section of Scripture here this morning. So James chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. We read this. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. The title of my message this morning is The Authentic Christian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to be in this place, to, to know, Holy Spirit, that you are here to teach us, to give us not only understanding of your word, but application of your word into our lives. And Lord, we recognize some things we don't like to hear, But Lord, we also know that you have some things that we need to hear. And so we pray that we would have open ears to receive all that you have for us this morning, that we would be uh, uh, attentive to it, Lord. We pray your blessing upon our time together. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again this morning, would you especially speak to their hearts? Help them to see their need for you, Lord, to need to turn from their sin and turn to you today. So we thank you for our time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when I go to a grocery store, I'm a a label looker. I like to see if something looks good that I want to eat. I say, well, what's in this exactly? How many calories does it have? How much fat content? Is it something that I I could eat? You know, is it something that's going to fill me up? You know, I want to get the least amount of calories and the most amount of food. That's my, my goal for that. But see, sometimes you can't tell what's, you know, what's in the food off of what the front box says, can you? As I found this, this picture, it says, if food products were honestly labeled, and I like that, some of them say uh, heart disease spread, chemical helper instead of hamburger helper, zero nutrition chips, I've had those before, for sure diabetes drink, now, and I like that the kid's holding a cereal box, it's called ADHD Flakes. A lot of cereal out there like that. Then I thought, what label would be on me spiritually? It's what I look like on the outside, the same as who I am on the inside. Well, here in James chapter 1, James gives us some practical insight and in how to live out what we believe. A picture of authentic Christianity. James will show us that the authentic Christian starts with being a good listener. Starts with watching what we say, doing what is right. I think for many of us as parents, as you know, the last 
a couple of weeks with school starting up again, you know, we more than likely said to our kids those same instructions. Listen closely to your teacher, watch what you say, and do what is right. So those are three points if you're taking notes this morning. Number one, listen closely. Number two, watch what you say. Number three, do what is right. You know, what this world needs to see today is authentic Christians, authentic Christianity. That's what people need to see. It was A.W. Tozer that wrote, quote, The world is waiting to hear an authentic voice, a voice from God, not an echo of what others are saying and doing, but an authentic voice. Not a perfect voice, not a flawless person, because there's no such people, but an authentic voice. Let me ask you, are you an authentic Christian? Can people uh, tell you are by how you listen, what you say and what you do? Is what you look like on the outside the same on the inside? Because it's interesting to me that James opens up in chapter 1 mentioning deception. In verse 22, he warns about deceiving yourselves. In verse 26, he warns of deceiving our own heart. And the reason James is saying this is there is a tendency to be deceived. We can be deceived into thinking we are automatically Christians because we are in church or because we've gone through a couple of religious rituals or we've done these certain things. But the fact of the matter is, there are a lot of people today who think they're believers who are not. And they're going to be in for a big surprise when they stand before the Lord on that final day. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do so many wonderful works in your name? And he will sadly and reluctantly say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you who workers of iniquity. You see, the key for us is not only do we profess our faith in Christ, but we must live it. It must be authentic faith. Otherwise, it's not faith at all. So James shows us what authentic Christianity looks like. Look at verse 19. He writes, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That's a great verse. We ought to post that on the mirrors in our bathrooms at home. We put it in our cars, on the dashboard. I mean, think about it. Being swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. How different our lives would be if we heeded its admonition. I think most of us are just the opposite. Swift to speak, slow to listen, and quick to anger. But James tells us if we're going to be an authentic Christian, we must first and foremost, point number one, listen closely. Listen closely. Mind me of a story about a lady who was losing her hearing. A specialist suggested an operation to improve her hearing, but she promptly vetoed the idea saying, I'm 94 years old and I've heard enough. I understand James was clearly concerned as a pastor when he wrote to the scattered, scattered Jewish believers about believers. He, he was concerned that the salvation that they had gained through the Word of God, that gave them new life in Christ, would continue on as they lived according to the Word. But in order to do that, they would have to listen closely. Because the early New Testament believers did not have the New Testament like we have. They couldn't pull out their highlighter and, and highlight the words of Paul or James or Peter. They had to listen well. And those who didn't listen ran the risk of being spiritually dry. Listening gave them a spiritual advantage. So James challenges them, you need to be swift to hear, quick to listen. And certainly what was good for them is good for us today. I believe that the greatest need in the church today is not only uh, the fact that there needs to be anointed preaching, 
there needs to be anointed listening as well. A swiftness to listen. An eagerness, as David described in Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2, where David says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And in Psalm 119, verse 131, I opened my mouth and panted, for I long for your commandments. And what David said regarding God's commandments in Psalm 19.10, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Peter used a similar picture in 1 Peter 2.2, that as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. And you new moms, you know how a newborn baby desires that milk. doesn't matter what time of day it is, they've got to have it. Each picture describes an eagerness to read and to hear the Word of God. Does that describe your devotional life? Does that describe, how about you coming to church? Let me ask you, what if you had a different wealthy, a distant rather wealthy relative that had passed away and you got a letter in the mail saying that you are named in the inheritance? Would you go, well, you know, maybe I'll, I'll show up if I don't have anything better to do? Would you say, well, I'll show up if they have comfortable seats to sit on. I'll show up if the, the pre-reading of the will has some music playing that I like to listen to that's not too loud. No, you would mark that date on your calendar. You would put it in your phone with double alarms to remind you of that day. You would prepare to get there early as to not miss anything. Then when it was read... The executor of the estate would have your full attention. And as you waited quietly, listening for your name to be read, knowing you were going to be left something, giving something. You wouldn't want to be distracted by people walking around talking. You'd want to be ready to receive. That's the same kind of heart that the Lord wants us to have towards His Word. That you can't wait to hear what the Lord has to say to your heart. So you want to get up early in the morning without distractions and open up God's Word so you can hear from the Lord. You have a heart of wanting to get to the church on time, excited as to what God's going to do, what's God going to say that day. But we don't often have that heart, do we? Why is that? Well, I think that one of the major reasons we are such poor listeners is we're just plain too busy. The devotional prayer of the modern man is, Lord, speak to me, you have 60 seconds. Oftentimes, our problem is we're just distracted. We come to the sanctuary and we're in our own little world, busy, distracted, thinking about personal problems and concerns, everything that's going on in your life. Listen, I know that Sunday mornings can be a battle sometimes. We raised five kids, my wife and I, and, and I know it can be. You know, Just when you think you're, you're ready to go out the door, then your kid's got his shoes off or they're in the mud or something's going on. And I know that can be a problem. Satan, our enemy, loves to see families fighting and especially wants to add fuel to that fire on Sundays so that we come in not ready to receive from the Word. Maybe even before you leave the house, you get into an argument and it goes all the way to the church. Then you get to the church late and you can't find a parking place. Now you're really frustrated. Then you get into the church and you can't find a seat. And then as you, the result is you get here not fully engaged and you're thinking of that discussion you had all the way here. Then you're thinking of all the things you still have to do this afternoon. And then you hear what I'm saying, but you really don't hear what you're saying because you're not really listening and, and you're just distracted. That could be a reason why we're poor listeners. 
We've not slowed down enough and prepared our hearts to receive from the Lord. Another reason I think we're poor listeners is because we're bombarded visually all the time, and that takes away our ability to concentrate. You know, the media, they know we have a, not a very good ability to concentrate. You know, we just kind of zone out. That's why if you watch a TV show, they're changing the scenes every 10 or 15 seconds. In our day, in our age, we've become a culture that's used to, to visual changes to keep our attention. So much so that it's become difficult to concentrate on anything, especially the Word of God. That's why one of the reasons we throw the, the verses up on the screen, the points up on the screen, so we, gotta, we, we keep our attention going to what God has to say to us. Now, I do understand the saying, the mind can't take in what the seat won't endure. And some pastors, you know, they have that tendency to go on and on and on, and eventually you lose focus on what they're saying. And, and I've been there. I've been there on both sides. Maybe that's why Adeline Stevenson, when addressing the students at Princeton, said this, I understand that I'm here to speak and you are here to listen. Let's hope we finish at the same time. That's my prayer every Sunday and every Wednesday. But to see the implication for the inability to listen, it's a huge problem when it comes to hearing the Word of God. Or when we do actually hear the Word of God, we go, it's for someone else. Man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that. They really needed to hear that message. Where God has said, hey, I'm trying to get through to you, you knucklehead. <laughs> the point was making it your heart, not someone else's. Okay, God doesn't call you a knucklehead, all right? But it does want to speak to your heart. That's why James says, let every man be swift to hear, to listen to what God has to say to your heart. That's why it's so important for us that we still ourselves and focus on, on why the psalmist writes in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Now, one more point before we move away from point number one. I also think that we are bad listeners when it comes to life. And when it comes to the marriage relationship. And if we refuse to listen to one another, it's going to produce a barrier in your relationship. Why is it that we don't listen to one another? I think a, a three-little-letter word, it's called ego. You know, E-G-O. It's our egos that keep us from listening to one another, to the other person. It's that ego that shows itself in defensiveness. We don't want to hear what the other person has to say, and so we tune them out and, uh, to keep from hearing. Or that ego that, that uh, shows itself in assumption. We think we know what they're going to say. We've heard it before, so we assume that we know the answer. And while they're speaking, we're already preparing our response. Or that ego may show itself in laziness. I'm just not that interested in what you have to say, so I'm going to tune you out. James says, don't do that. Don't tune out. Tune in. Be swift to hear. Let me give us three simple things to put into place when it comes to being uh, quick to listen, swift to hear with each other. First, we need concentration. Let me ask you, have you ever been... Uh, have, have you been pouring out your heart to someone and they're looking around as if they're not even listening? Let me restate that question. Wives, have you ever tried to carry on a conversation with your husband? That's what happens. You know, you're talking with them and, and it's like, yeah, that's nice, dear. That's right. And, and they're, they're looking every place else. Now, maybe he's listening, but it, it doesn't look that way. Guys, men, when our wife says something to say, we need to focus 
on what they're saying. We need to listen. And vice versa, ladies. And I might add, we might learn something about them if we listen to them, not only with our eyes, but with their, their body language. You know, people communicate with much more than just words. Yeah, I love you too. You know, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, I love you too. I don't think that's what you're saying, dear, you know. Watch their body language. Watch their facial expressions. Engage in the conversation. As with the Word of God, even in life and our relationships with one another, we can become distracted and we not pay attention. Especially, man, nowadays with our phones, checking our emails, our social media, our news, our podcasts, and your wife is trying to have a conversation with you and you're distracted. I may be speaking from a little bit of experience here. My wife will tell me, be present, Tom, be present. Why? Because I wasn't present. <laughs> so I have to make it a point to put my phone down and listen to be present to what's going on around me. To look with my eyes. Listen to who I'm talking with. To pay attention. And let the other person know that I'm listening. That I'm engaging in what they have to say. One man said, I'm concerned about my wife. She goes around the house talking to herself all the time. What, does she know she's doing it? No, she thinks I'm listening to her. We need to listen to one another. Listen with our eyes. Listen with your ears. Listen with your brain. Listen with your heart. Listen through concentration. Let people know that they have 100% of your attention. So when it comes to being quick to listen in life, we need to have concentration. We also must have consideration. Consideration. A part of, of good listening is to not only hear, but to consider what you have said, and what's being said. Listen to their words. What did they really say? Are you hearing their words? Not only listening to the words, listen to the meaning of their words. Now, what I mean by that is, what do they think that they mean? Sometimes our words can get twisted. Sometimes phrases just don't come out right. So don't jump to conclusions, relax, and really try to understand where they're coming from. And also, again, this is not only to words and meanings, but feelings. How do they look? What are they feeling? Our emotions have a lot to do with communications. Sometimes when a person is angry or hurt, they're going to say things that they really don't mean. Consider what's going on in their lives and show some patience and some kindness with them. Consideration. So there's concentration, there's consideration, and then thirdly, there's clarification. In any conversation, there's what we say and what we thought we said. And there's what we hear and what we thought we heard. There's a big gap in all of that. And so there, oftentimes we need to, to clarify it. It's an old line from Princess Bride movie where Vizzini keeps saying the word inconceivable, inconceivable. And Indigo Montoya says, you keep using that word. I don't think it, you think it means what you think it means. And that's often true in our conversations with one another because sometimes you'll say one thing, but you're really meaning something else. I love Pastor Greg Laurie's illustration about this. He says, in a conversation between a husband and a wife, when your wife says, can I have the remote control? What he hears is, let's watch something that is boring beyond belief. She says, I'd like to redecorate. He hears, let's flush a bunch of money down the toilet. She says, you've got to get in touch with your inner feelings. He hears blah, 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 blah. She says, are you listening to me? He hears blah, 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 blah. But it works both ways. When a man says to his wife, can I help with dinner? What he means is, why isn't it on the table now? 
When a man says, sure, honey, yes, dear, it means nothing. It is the conditioned response. When a man says, well, it would take too long to explain, what he really is saying is, I have no idea how it works myself. And then when a man says, take a break, honey, you're working way too hard, he really means, I can't hear the game on the TV. Can you stop with the vacuum? Amen. <laughs> That's the reason we need to pray a lot. And we need to listen. In fact, at times we need to even say, can you repeat what you think I said? Because I need to know if what you think I said is actually what I meant when I said it. So that's why James says, so then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. We need to tune in. You know, we live in a culture today, and and I know we've all noticed this, of non-listeners. Go on any college campus and they want to tell you how it is, but they don't want to hear anything back from you. And as a result, we, we no longer have conversations with one another. There's no room for debate because no one wants to listen anymore. Yeah, there are people that are on their way to hell, and yes, they have very unbiblical views of life and of God and what it means to be a Christian. But if you want to engage in a conversation with them and hopefully see them come to faith in the Lord, then it begins with letting them have the opportunity to speak, to hear what they have to say without jumping all over them. Now listen, because the book of James is like a practical handbook for authentic Christian living, James has practical advice when he says we must learn to be quick to listen. It's a continuous command in the Greek. We're keep to keep at it. Now, this goes for the Word of God and for each other. We need to listen carefully what God has to say to us, and then we need to listen to one another. Now, this brings us to our second point. Not only listen carefully, but point number two, watch what you say. Again, verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Now, James will talk more about this when we get to chapter 3, and so will we. But the point he's making now is that Our mouths can get us in a lot of trouble if we're not careful. That's why the book of Proverbs is packed full of the importance of watching what we say, watching our words. Proverbs 10, 19, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 17, 27, He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of of a calm spirit. Proverbs 21, 23, Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. Great stuff here. And then, and then Ecclesiastes 5, 3, For a dream comes to much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. See, when James tells us we need to be slow to speak, he doesn't mean we need to all turn into Forrest Gump, remind our spouses that life is like a box of chocolate, but it means we need to be careful in the things that we say. James is not banning friendly and fast-paced conversation. He's not saying that we can't answer a question quickly. Rather, he's saying we as Christians should, he's not saying we as Christians should be inarticulate. But he's commanding that this common sense principle be followed out. Think before you speak. Think before you speak. There's an old saying, you've heard it all before, it's not found in the Bible, it's not scripture, but it says, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Thinking first, then speaking is something people in this day and age have disregarded. It's been said we have two ears and one mouth, so we ought to listen twice as much as we speak. But I like what one rabbi wrote. He says, men have two ears but one tongue, that they should hear more than they speak. 
The ears are always open, ever ready to receive instruction, but the tongue is surrounded with a double row of teeth to hedge it in and keep it with proper balance. It's like bars over on that tongue. Unfortunately, many of us open our mouths only to change feet. You know, stick one foot in one time, pull it out, stick the other one in. Let me tell you this, though. I've never had to take back something I didn't say. Here's a real tragedy. When you've said something you shouldn't, even when you take those words back, they really rarely ever completely come back. I've tried to take words back, but it barely, rarely works. I mean, how many times do we speak when our wives or kids or co-worker or boss haven't finished what they were saying and it's caused anger and quarreling and offense because we didn't hear the whole story? Just kind of plow in there with what you think and what you think you know and, and what, what they're saying, but they really aren't saying what you think they're saying. Solomon was right in Proverbs 10:19, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Our natural tendency in respect to God's word is to be slow to hear and quick to speak. But we need to be quick to hear and slow to speak. It's been said you can't hear from God if you're doing all the talking. <laughs> We need to learn to say the words Eli taught to young Samuel in 1 Samuel 3, 9. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Yet many times we're, we're quick to speak. We're quick to jump to the wrong conclusions. Quick to judge. Quick to say the words. Quick to offer advice. We need, so we naturally pronounce opinions and verdicts on every situation, on every person. So we need to think. We need to consider. We need to ponder. We must keep in mind to be slow to speak. It's an ongoing command by the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 19, James tells us to be careful. He says, be slow to wrath. See, if we're not listening well, if we're quick to respond, that usually leads to anger. Now, we know there's a such thing as righteous anger. The Bible says that Jesus was moved with anger or righteous indignation when he turned over the tables in the temple. There's justification to be angry for the right reasons, to be angry at the right things. And then to be angry in the right way. But you're, in your anger, it should be part, you should be part of the solution. But anger for the wrong reasons doesn't work. That's why James tells us again in verse 19 and 20, Be slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. See, righteous anger moves us to righteous action, but unrighteous anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Proverbs 16.32 He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. It's been said unrighteous anger is like throwing a stone into a hornet's nest. You may destroy the problem but it's going to come back to bite you. A kind of anger will destroy your testimony before your children, before your wife or husband. Some cases in your neighborhood. You know, they hear this screaming and yelling going on in, in, in your home. So how do you handle that kind of anger, that kind of situation? Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. When you get angry, don't flare up. Speak the truth, but speak the truth in love and listen. That's why so many marriages are hurting today because they're not putting God's word into practice. That's why the Christian community is hurting today and not making as much of an impact in our society because we're not putting God's word into practice. If we want to have an authentic Christian faith, then it all depends on you and it depends on me. It's making that commitment to do what God's Word calls us to do. Some people, they just, they just love to argue. They live to argue. 
You know, some people are like the Incredible Hulk, you know, with any little thing turns them green and angry all over. But still there are others that slowly begin to toil and they begin to, to, to seethe rather and boil and they fume and, and some people will hang on to that anger for a long time. Oswald Chambers, the author of the well-known devotional My Utmost for His Highest, made this statement. The man who loses his temper quickest is the one who finds it the quickest. The man you need to be aware of is not the one who flares up, but the one who smolders, who is vindictive and harbors vengeance. See, there are those that will take that anger and they'll just allow it to fester on the inside. It will turn, as what the Bible says, into a root of bitterness. But the problem with that bitter person is they're really rarely willing to keep it to themselves. They have to spread it around. They're upset by something that has happened, and as a result, everybody needs to hear about it. Everybody needs to know about what happened to them. Listen, the Bible warns us about a root of bitterness. And here's the problem. As that bitterness takes root, you're no longer watching what you say. You're no longer listening to what others have to say or what the Lord would have to say to you. And you're angry. And you want to get even. Which is why James says, don't get even. And what he says, instead, do what is right. Point number three. Look at verse 21. Therefore, because of all these things, lay aside all filthiness an overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I like the way the, the old King James translates this verse. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Superfluity of naughtiness. I like the way it sounds. Are you guilty of superfluity of naughtiness? Are you guilty of an overflow of wickedness? Both are bad. James says to be an authentic Christian, there needs to be a turning away from evil and a turning to the Word of God. Being an authentic Christian means you listen carefully. You think before you speak. You turn from evil. But above all of that, you put the Word of God first in your life. James says you receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your soul. See, James is using that picture of, of, of soil. The human heart is like receptive soil to the seed of the Word of God. You may remember that Jesus used this exact analogy of what we know as the parable of the sower. You can find it in Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8. Remember that one? Over in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, here's what he says in verses 3 through 9. He says, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Each seed represents four different categories, four different reactions to the Word of God. So you have a hard heart, you have a shallow heart, a crowded heart, or a fruitful heart. It's that hard heart, that seed that went along the roadside, and the birds came in and scooped it up. Jesus says those birds are like the devil and, and snatches away the, the word when someone hears it. People who hear the word of God, but it never really penetrates, they never really believe. That's the extent of it. Then there's a shallow heart. That's a group that, that would receive it. There would seem to be a response to it, even a 
positive response as it would shoot up, but because there's no root to it to sustain it, it withers. Jesus said those are those that, that hear the word of God and receive it with joy, but when persecution comes and hardships hit, for the gospel's sake, they're offended and they don't follow me anymore. Then there's a crowded heart. This one doesn't happen as quickly as the first two. This can take over a period of time. This is a seed that, that went into the ground that was embedded with weeds and it slowly choked out as it grows. Jesus said, these are those that hear the word, but the cares and the riches of this life and the love of other things choke it out and it becomes unfruitful. Now, if you've ever planted flowers and have the weeds overtake them, you know that it doesn't happen overnight. Although sometimes it seems like it does, but it doesn't. You, you know, you, you plant the flower, the next morning you come out and there's your flower lying dead and the weed is wrapped around the flower and it's just laying there on the ground. No, it's slow. You see the weed kind of go up a little bit, then it starts to move a little closer, a little closer. Hopefully you see it and you pull it out before it gets to your flower. But that's what this category is like. It's not like a person that just throws in the towel immediately, but slowly and surely they just lose interest in the things of God. But then there is the fruitful heart, the good soil that receives the word. But you see, it's you and I that determine what kind of soil our hearts will be. I decide if I'm going to have a hard heart. I decide if I'm going to have a shallow heart. I decide if I'm going to have that, that crowded heart. Or I decide if I'm going to have a receptive heart. And that's what James is speaking here when he says, receive with meekness the implanted word. So for the seed of the word of God to properly take root, we have to first clear the ground of that which would hinder its growth. You see, you need to uproot weeds of bitterness or wickedness or whatever else would be there that would hinder the seed from taking root. So let me ask you, how do you respond when the Bible steps on your toes? Maybe you're reading it, you know, or hearing it preached. It says something that you don't like because it confronts the way that you think. It confronts the way that you live. Do you get angry, defensive? All right, does that preacher have to say that? How dare he tell me? He doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> Listen, again, an angry spirit is never a listening, teaching spirit. If you want to grow in righteousness, stop fighting God's word and just submit to it. Do what it says. And that's why verse 21 is telling us uh, the receptive heart clears out the crud of sin, putting aside all filthiness. Picture this as, as spiritual weed and feed, you know, for your lawns. Laying aside is the weeding part, dealing with those things that is choking out our relationship with God. We need to recognize our sin, confess it, turn away from it. That's the weeding part. Then get back to the Word of God. That's the feeding part. Listen to what Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 4.3. God tells Jeremiah, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. I like it in the New Living Translation. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. Do not waste your good seed among thorns. See, once that ground is broken up and cleaned out, what are we to do? Receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, meekness is, uh, would be the opposite of pride. Meekness would be the opposite of, of ego. Coming humbly, with an open heart, applying God's precious words to our life. Meekness equals humility. Meekness means, yes, Lord, you're right. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear from you. Now, what if you do one without the other? Weed or feed? Some people weed without feeding. And they try to deal with that sin with their life, but not feeding on the Word of God. 
Let me tell you, that's a, a formula for failure. The weeds are just going to keep coming back. The sin's going to keep coming back. Pull out, you can sin again, pull it out, sin again. This is a vicious cycle you're on. Feeding is essential for transformation. Taking in the Word of God. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Without the feeding of God's Word, there's no break in that cycle. There's no transformation. Weeds are popping faster up than you can pull them out. We get frustrated and tired and exhausted and there's no fruit. And we go, why is my life just so miserable? Just, I'm dealing with this sin all the time. Because you're trying to, to, to weed without feeding. You know, again, it's like the parable of the seed among the thorns. The seed gets choked out. Both are necessary for proper growth. With the right soul in your heart, receive with meekness the implanted word. So to live an authentic Christian life, we need to be quick to listen. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We must be careful what we say. That will uh, represent who we are. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And finally, if you want to be an authentic Christian, uh, you must never get to the point where you cannot receive from the Lord. It's always open to what the Lord has to say to your heart. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So when you come to church, we come with that attitude of meekness, wanting to receive his word that will save your soul. Now that's an interesting thing that James tells us here. He says, doing these things will save your soul. Now keep in mind, James is writing to believers. He's saying to these Jewish believers, they're Christians, that if you receive the implanted word with meekness, it'll save your souls. You, say, well, you may say, well, wait a second. I, I thought they're already saved. I, I'm already saved. What does that mean? Well, the word that James uses for saved could also be translated to heal or to preserve. It's not speaking of losing the salvation of one's souls and needing to regain it. Rather, he's speaking about having a, a sick soul. So if your heart is filled with bitterness and resentment and pride and you come to work with that same attitude, you have a sick soul. The Word of God's not going to take root. The very truth that should be setting you free is going to make it more miserable because you're not receiving it properly. That's what James is addressing here. Don't have a sick soul. But come to God's Word with a willingness to accept and apply what He says to you. If you're having difficulties in your marriage and you're not getting along with your spouse... Your souls are sick. If you want to save your soul from being sick all the time, look to the Word of God. See what God's Word says for a successful marriage. And then do what it says. And we're going to look at that next time, that we're called not to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word as well. And finally, if we're true, authentic Christians, then we will listen well, watch what we say, we will receive the implanted Word. Then one more thing. A true authentic Christian will get the gospel out. You're going to want to tell others about Jesus and the hope that lies within you. You're going to have your life to back up your words that are coming out of your mouth. The change has been, been made in you, so they're going to be able to receive what you have to say to them because they're going to go, man, you're different. I see in your life, you're different than everybody else. You really live out what you believe. We've been given a message to deliver. It's called the gospel. And by the very, its very nature, it demands a response. Now, because of that, it can be very offensive to people. They may not like to listen to what we say. They may become angry and get, have wrath. You know, we can't respond in the same way. And I talked to, to Greg Cohen's about some of the people encounters downtown with the GO team. 
Some can become quite argumentative. I encourage you to come out this Friday night. We have our GOAT team. It'll be fun. <laughs> Get to apply some of these truths in, in, in practice, right? Real life. But, but 7.30 down there at the square. Go team, go down there. You'll see this. Share the gospel with these folks. I think sometimes we have that temptation, though, to, to, to maybe compromise the message. But we, we can't. We mustn't. Listen, the gospel is very appealing. That's a very appealing message. The word gospel means good news. It's very appealing to say to a lost person, hey, God loves you. And to tell them, hey, God has a plan for your life and a purpose for your life. And He can remove the guilt and fill the void inside. All of that is true. And all of that is a part of the gospel, but it's not the whole story. Because the gospel says, repent or perish. Believe and go to heaven or don't believe and go to hell. Paul spoke of it as the offense of the cross in Galatians 5.11. See, sometimes in our attempt to cross over, we don't bring the cross over. We, we try to relate to someone and, and try to, to, you know, just help them to just, oh, just you know, God is love and just, just, just love Jesus. We make it seem like being a Christian is really fun and we're really cool and fun loving. That's all true. But there's more to it than that. Sooner or later, if, if you're living an authentic Christian life, and you're delivering the authentic gospel message, you need to tell them that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them. He suffered for them because of the abhorrence of their sin. He suffered because their sin is we've all offended God. But if they were turn from that sin, repent of that sin, call sin for what it is, ask God to forgive them, they will be pardoned. They will be forgiven. Sometimes we're reluctant to, to deliver, deliver that message, but we must because we've all been called to share the gospel. It's part of the whole package. Living for the Lord, letting people see that, then they can receive the gospel and come to know the Lord themselves. Finally, if you're here and you don't know Christ this morning, I would encourage you. You've heard the gospel. Jesus loves you. You need to turn from your sin, turn to Him. He'll fill you with His Spirit. He'll give you His Holy Spirit to do these things that we looked at that He's called us to do. You know, we need to ask the Lord, fill us with the Spirit, your Holy Spirit anyway. Lord, help me to listen to my spouse, to listen to my, to, you know, my boss at work, to listen to those that I, I come in contact with, to, to be good listeners, to watch what I say, to don't jump to conclusions. Finally, again, if you don't know the Lord, give your life to Him. Come up and talk to me as soon as service is over. I'd love to give you a Bible, pray with you, let you know what it means to follow the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, I, I recognize, Lord, as, as this word goes out, Lord, it affects all of us. It affects me first, Lord, and, and I, I, I understand. And, and, Lord, I want to seek to apply these truths in my life, in all our lives, Lord. Help us all to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Lord, help us to cast aside those sins, Lord, but not only cast them aside and, 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 and find that forgiveness, Lord, but to to receive your word. Help us to, to do what you've called us to do. And finally, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, Lord, would you touch them this morning. Help them to see their need for you and they return to you today. Thank you for our time together, Lord. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand